Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on February 26, 2017, on the basis of Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. It's been observed that the Christian faith almost always has two things to say. In other words, when it comes to life's most challenging questions, the, the questions that challenge us and challenge the world around us, the Christian faith rarely offers simple, pat, easily digestible answers to those things. And that's not always easy, is it? I mean, we live in a world where our opinions are formed by headlines and sound bites. We live in a world where we have to express our opinions in 140 character or less tweets. And so very often that those complex and, and nuanced answers are, are difficult for us to receive. And yet, nonetheless, it, it remains the case that very often the Christian faith takes two truths that seem to be polar opposites. And it says it, it's not this one or that one. It's not even 50% of this and 50% of that. It's really 100% of this one and 100% of that one. Almost like two mountain peaks in a, in a given mountain range. So big that you can't just push them together into one. You can't just level off the top of each one so that it forms a single continuous plateau. You, you just have to let those two mountain peaks stand. Now, maybe that sounds a bit abstract and maybe even a little bit deep for before noon on a Sunday morning. And so I'm going to give you a very specific, very concrete example of how this works. Has anyone ever said to you, well, this must be God's plan? I want you to picture yourself in whatever situation has been maybe the most challenging thing that you've ever gone through. Maybe you're even going through it right now. You get diagnosed with a very serious, even life-threatening illness. Someone that you love and care about deeply leaves you or, or is taken from you in death. You think back at, at the hopes and dreams that you had when you were a wide-eyed 18-year-old and, and you suddenly realize that they haven't really turned out the way that you wanted. Maybe it's, it's as simple as looking in the mirror and really not liking the man or the woman who is staring back at you. Whatever the difficult challenge might be, as you, as you sit there and you groan under the weight of it, some well-meaning Christian comes along and says, well, this must be God's plan. This is God's plan. I, I understand why someone would say it. I understand even why it, it might be a beneficial thing to hear to some degree, but is it, is it really true? As we struggle, as we mourn, as we at times even despair during this life here on earth, can we really say this is God's plan? Well, on the one hand, we can very correctly say, well, no. Of course that's not God's plan. God's intent was for mankind to live in a perfect paradise. In fact, God created a world where there was no need for things like chemotherapy, no need for cemeteries, no need for the prescription drug industry, no need for nuclear weapons. And maybe even more remarkable than that, God created a world where mankind could stand face to face with God in all of his glory and all of his holiness and be completely unashamed 
and completely unafraid. And so when you struggle, when you suffer, when you mourn, you can rest assured that no one's heart is saddened by those things more than God, and no one's righteous indignation against evil is stirred by those things more than God. When we suffer, when we struggle, when we cry, is that God's plan? Well, no. And, not but, and, on the other hand, we can very much say yes. You see, that perfect paradise that God created no longer exists. And so God needed to come up with another plan. And when the time had finally arrived, God God acted on that plan. God looked down in love at what his world had become, a kingdom where sin and death and the devil ruled, and, and God decided that he was going to attack. God launched a full-scale invasion of the kingdom of God against the kingdom of this world. Only as he did, he had a very specific and, and almost seemingly impossible goal. On the one hand, he wanted to completely destroy the kingdom of this world, with the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, he wanted to rescue every single citizen of the kingdom of this world for the kingdom of God. So now what's that plan going to look like? Well, for the last five weeks, we've been hearing it. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus saying, when the kingdom of God arrives... Here's what it's going to look like. And so we've heard him say, one, that things that the the world normally calls cursed in his kingdom are blessed. We've heard him say, two, that the law of God cannot be abolished, it cannot be diminished, it cannot be ignored, it must be perfectly fulfilled. We've heard him say, three, that the way evil is going to be destroyed is not with more evil, but with good. And in fact, rather than retaliating against that evil, the way that evil will be destroyed is by yielding to that evil, almost surrendering to that evil. And finally, four, we've heard Jesus say that if you want to possess the kingdom of God, if you want to have the kingdom of God, you need to let go of the kingdom of this world. Now, what's interesting to me is that if someone had been sitting in that crowd as Jesus sat halfway up the mountain delivering that sermon, someone who was very perceptive, someone who was very good at at putting all the clues together, the kind of person who already knows how the book's going to end even when they're in chapter 1. If there had been someone like that there that day, do you know what they would have realized? They would have looked right at that man delivering that sermon and they would have said, that man right there is going to have to suffer and die. I mean, think about it. All the clues are there. What is normally cursed is actually blessed. The law of God cannot be abolished, and so every violation of that law can't just be forgotten, but must be punished. The way that evil would be destroyed is not by, not by retaliating against it, but by surrendering to it. And then finally, to, to have and to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world needs to be let go of. All, all the clues are there. Of course, that's not what happened. At that point, everyone was still thrilled with Jesus. The people were, were practically saying, long live King Jesus, long live King Jesus. And yet if someone had been paying careful attention, they would have looked at Jesus and said, that man's life is going to be anything but long. There's one way for this plan to come to an end, and it's with that man suffering and dying for the sins of the world. Now, it's no wonder that no one 
put all the pieces together at that point. But, but now you fast forward more than a year, and Jesus is no longer just dropping clues about the plan. He's just coming right out and saying it. In fact, in the verses that come right before these verses, that's exactly what Jesus had done. He had said to his disciples, the time is coming when the Son of Man will be handed over to the religious leaders to suffer and to die. That's the plan. You remember how Peter reacted? He actually rebuked Jesus. He turned to Jesus and he said, Never, Lord, that can't possibly be the plan. That's crazy talk. Do you know how Jesus responded to him? He sort of doubled down. He said, Get behind me, Satan. He said, Peter, right now you're thinking like someone who belongs to the kingdom of this world and not to the kingdom of God. And in fact, not only is this going to be the plan for me, this is going to be the plan for you. Not only must I carry a cross, but anyone who would follow me, anyone who would come after me must follow, must carry a cross as well. That's going to be the plan. So what is the plan for your life? Well, there's, there's two things that need to be said. On the one hand, I've been reminding you for the past several weeks those promises that Jesus made right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the opening section. He made you a promise that those who live in the kingdom of God will both be blessed and will be blessings to the world around them. And that is absolutely true. That is the plan. And, not but, but and, life in the kingdom of God will very rarely be easy or fun or pleasant. And again, the, the clues are all there. The things that Jesus is going to use to bring blessings into your life are the things that the world normally calls cursed. The law of God cannot be abolished or set aside, which means that as you live life and experience a wide variety of sinful desires and sinful passions, life in the kingdom of God means taking up a constant, painful struggle against those temptations rather than giving into them. Life in the kingdom of God means that as we look at the world around us, it will almost always seem as though evil is allowed to reign unchecked. And in fact, even in your own life, Jesus says it is better to be wronged than to retaliate. Jesus says if you, if you want to have the kingdom of God, you need to be ready and willing to let go of the kingdom of this world. All of which lets us know that life in the kingdom of God, though blessed and though a blessing to the world around us, will rarely be easy, pleasant, or fun. That's the plan. Now, if you're anything like me, you maybe sometimes react the way that Peter did and say, no, no, Lord, that, that can't be. Surely you have something better in mind for me. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I want here. I am trying to follow you, and that's, that's the plan that you have for my life. In fact, maybe we even join Peter in rebuking Jesus, and the more we find out how serious Jesus is about this plan, maybe we're even tempted to come up with a plan of our own. This is the way I'm going to go instead. This is the life that I want to pursue. We find ourselves right there with the Apostle Peter struggling with this plan. And that's why today is so important. Matthew tells us that it was six days after that debate 
had sparked between Jesus and Peter. Six days later, they went up to the top of this mountain. Just Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And there, Jesus was transfigured. What does that mean? Well, it means that all of the glory, all of the splendor, all of the majesty that he always possessed as God's son, glory and majesty and splendor that was normally hidden underneath the cloak of an ordinary human appearance, all of it was put on display. All of it was unveiled. His face was as bright as the sun. His clothes were as white as light. To top it all off, this cloud of God's glory descended on the mountain. You've got Moses and Elijah standing on either side, these heroes from the Old Testament. And then finally, the father speaks with this approving voice, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Almost seems like a change of plans, doesn't it? In fact, that's exactly what Peter was hoping for. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let me put up three tents. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm, I signed up for. Let's just stay here. It wasn't a change of plans. Rather, Jesus knew that in the very near future, the plan was going to be put into motion. In the very near future, he was going to have to climb another mountain, one that was the exact opposite of this one in every way imaginable. On that mountain, there would be no brilliant displays of light. In fact, as Jesus was suspended from that mountain, the land was covered in darkness. On that mountain, there would be no reassuring and approving voice from God the Father. On that mountain, God would say nothing at all. In fact, he would turn his face, turn his back toward his son, causing him to know and feel the separation from God that sin causes, causing Jesus to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only thing waiting on that mountain for Jesus was death on the cross. And so that's why this happened on this mountain. So that when the plan was put into motion, the disciples would always know that this is the plan and it's going to work. In fact, Jesus gave them a little hint. He gave them a little preview of how they would know that the plan had in fact succeeded. He said, don't tell anyone about this. File this away in the back of your mind. Keep it back there. Remember what you saw here until, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Two mountains. One of unfathomable glory, one of unfathomable agony. Jesus climbed them both. Jesus had to climb them both. And because he did, he also made it very clear that neither one of those mountaintops was the destination for him. Both of those mountaintops were merely pit stops along the way. The destination was an empty tomb. The destination was life on the other side of the grave. So friends, what, what is God's plan for you? Two things need to be said. This past Wednesday, I was standing at the graveside of my grandmother as her body was laid to rest. And if you're going to lose a loved one, as all of us, of course, will, there were as many things to be happy about and thankful for as you could possibly imagine. And yet, as you stand there, as, as you've stood there, 
Could anyone really say, this is the plan? This is what God intended for bodies to grow frail, for hearts to give out, for breath to cease, for the crown of God's creation to be reduced to a heap of dust and ashes, pushing up daisies and feeding worms until the end of time. Meanwhile, the survivors are left to mourn. This is the plan? No. And, yes. Because it's from that very spot, from that very spot, that the perfect paradise that God always intended for us will one day be restored. In fact, as I was standing there, I was reminded of one of the many corny jokes that my grandpa would always tell us. We'd be driving in the car past a cemetery, and he'd say, Hey, Jonathan, how many dead people do you think there are in that cemetery? Have you heard that one? How many dead people are in that cemetery? I'd start looking, I'd start counting, I'd start estimating, and he'd interrupt with the punchline. All of them, right? Yeah, all of them. The reason I thought of that joke is because as I stood there, I thought, Boy, if I know my grandpa... I would love nothing more than to be standing here when Jesus returns. Because I have a hunch that the very first thing he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, Helen, that's his wife, my grandma. Hey, Helen, how many dead people do you see in this cemetery? And as she looked around a a little bit puzzled, he'd interrupt, none of them. None of them. Not a single one. Two mountaintops. What is God's plan for your life? Two mountaintops. One that will give you little glimpses and and brief displays of the wonderful glory that God has in store for you. The other one, a mountaintop where you are weighed down by sin, by sin's curse, all the way until you march right into your own grave. But the good news is that both of those mountaintops have already been climbed. Boy, talk about uncommon sense, right? But the fact that Jesus has climbed both of those mountaintops already proves that that uncommon sense is not only the plan, but that the plan works. That neither one of those mountaintops is the destination. Both of those mountaintops are just pit stops. The destination is an empty tomb, your empty tomb. And the destination is on the other side of death, a life in paradise that never ends. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.